Well, investors in US equities have lost their bottle with equities down. But you know what's really down? The pound. As Brexit uncertainty and the UK's government's approach to it unnerves everyone, even a few UK government ministers and civil servants, maybe the pound is the only thing that stopped the euro from raising higher. With the ECB as Christine Lagarde saying that they're watching the rising euro, but they weren't going to do anything about it. Does that mean it's going to go even higher? And US jobs not coming back as quickly as expected in the latest weekly numbers. It's Friday, the 11th of September, 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar dipped, then regained its composure. It's now up about a quarter percent. Equities are going the other way in the United States. The Dow and the Nasdaq both down about 1.7%. Falls in Europe too, uh, but a lot less pronounced. Another big fall in the pound though, down 1.7% against the US dollar, whilst the euro is up 0.1%. So the euro pound crosses about 1.8% up for the euro. The Aussie dollar uh, also down uh, later in the session, losing 0.4%. We've got small movement in bonds. 10-year Treasury is down two basis point. Actually, a, a four basis point rise in Aussie 10-year bond yields. It's uh, one of the biggest moves. Five basis points for New Zealand and big moves in oil too. WTI crude is down 2.6% this morning. So, second lot going on and a second dose of Gavin Friend this week. Uh, just what the doctor ordered. Senior market strategist at NAB in London. So, well, hey, there's a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? I mean, there's uh, there wasn't much conviction in that recovery in US equities. Uh, so, maybe a bigger slide is on the way. And then we've got all this stuff going on with Brexit as well. It, uh, I mean, who knows how to react to all of this? Yeah, good morning, Phil. Another day, as you say, another tech sell-off, dragging equities mm. down in the US and Europe after what was a, you know, let's face it, a pretty positive session earlier Thursday in Asia. I would say, though, rather than any specific tech issues here, of course, we can debate about valuations. This is more of a broader uh, market uh, pessimism mm. story. We've got what looks like a deteriorating situation going on with the virus. You know, yeah. as we've talked about earlier this week, Phil, India may be the real concerning hotspot, but we've also had a wary eye on Europe uh, with some persistent outbreaks there. And on that, today, the collective or combined number of cases in Western Europe amounted to 27,000. That's 1,000 above the 26,000 in the US. That's the first time uh, yeah. new daily cases in Europe have, 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 have surpassed the US since very early on in the crisis back in March. So, you know, clearly a situation to watch. I guess the one cautionary aspect about that comparison is that, you know, that's for the whole of the EU, which is what... Um, some 500 million people, including the UK, uh, yeah. versus, what, 328 million uh, in the US. Well, the thing is, in, in Europe as well, and this is, you know, the curious thing, and we've spoken about this in the past, in Europe, you know, we're seeing this big increase in cases. Uh, so France, for example, now, around 7,300 new cases each day lately, which is worse than they were in March, which was 4,500, but they've just got 15 deaths a day. But in the US, still 750 a day are dying from it, which is about 15% of the world total. So even though the numbers are going down in the US, they're still, you know, the, the fatality rate is still holding up, but we're seeing the opposite happening in Europe. So no wonder everyone is confused. We really don't have a clue where this is going, do we? No, but it's the uh, it's the sum of all the parts there, isn't it? The, the, on a global yeah. situation, 
And, and we're heading, let's not rem- forget, into the Northern Hemisphere winter where, as we pointed out earlier, you know, respiratory uh, infections yeah. don't tend to, to do worse. work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so all of this, of course, the impact of this on the economy is the bigger question, isn't it, in terms of what the markets are concerned with and, and particularly what it means for uh, for unemployment. And we had uh, those weekly jobless claims in the US weren't particularly encouraging on that front, were they? Initial claims for last week, about the same as the week before. So not picking up, 884,000 continuing claims for the week before that actually lifted up close to 13.4 million. And we'd be hoping that as lockdown eased and those numbers went down, these numbers would be picking up. Yeah, so, you know, as you say, 880,000, the market was expecting a decline to 850. I mean, you know, the improvement from below a million on that measure has held for two weeks. Uh, but 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 the so-called uh, pandemic uh, un- unemployment assistance claims. So this is for the gig workers rose by a chunky ninety-one thousand to eight hundred and thirty-eight. So you've got you're still talking about one point seven million Americans per week filing for some form of of jobless claim. And this on the day, I mean, it's no surprise. But this on the day that Democrats uh, voted against the five hundred to seven hundred billion Republican yeah. uh, bill, which would have been the fourth. Economic stimulus plan. The hope now is that as US senators head back to their districts and home or what have you, uh, that some of them will feel pressure, the pressure, the heat from the voters and uh, the public, and that will form or force them mm. to sort of come back, you know, to the negotiating table as well, they look that. at what's going on in the labour market. We've said, I know, but we've said that before, haven't we? Ted Cruz was saying on CNBC today that uh, he doesn't think it's going to happen before the election. But it is crazy, isn't it? Because the, both sides agree, uh, you know, on the minimum, uh, the, the $1,200 uh, stimulus check. Surely they could just push that ahead and, uh, you know, put politics behind them. Uh, But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It doesn't. And, uh, uh, you know, back to other market disappointments or reasons to be uh, less cheerful. We've had what's going on in the UK. Yeah. And, well, it's interesting that juxtaposition between Europe and the UK, isn't it? Because the euro really does want to rise higher. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the action at the ECB or the, the words from the ECB, I should say, today perhaps gave it uh, permission to do that. But it didn't because the pound was down so much. Yeah, I mean, OK, so let's just um, let's just cover what happened uh, with the ECB first. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the ECB sounds cautiously upbeat. It nudged its 2020 growth forecasts to a less negative number, down 8%, not 8.7% this year. It pushed up its HICP inflation forecasts for 2021, and it did not see any reason to increase policy stimulus at this stage with the substantial amount of easing and, you know, QE asset purchases still working their way through. German bond yields, I mean, they rose, what, four or five basis points today. They're up eight basis points on uh, on this, on this optimism over the last couple of days against US Treasury comparisons, 10-year Treasury yields, which are really struggling. You know, they're, struggling, they're, they're dipping lower on the back of the uh, of the equity market weakness and other things. Um, I mean, the big focus, though, for the ECB today was always going to be the exchange rate. This because of comments two weeks ago uh, by ECB Chief Economist Philip Lane that when the euro was at 120, its highest level for two years, that the euro dollar rate, the exchange rate, is important. And this set off a, a sort of a 2.5% fall in the euro as some observers, you know, considered whether the ECB was trying to jawbone the currency lower. But as we've been arguing for, you know, since that point, it seems not. Today, ECB President Christine Lagarde made it pretty clear the ECB is 
maintaining the exchange or monitoring the exchange rate, um, you know, carefully, uh, but as an input to its inflation target. I mean, this is standard fare for an inflation target in central bank. And at the current level and at the current pace of euro gains, it's not something that the ECB is particularly worried about, we don't think. Granted, a rising euro isn't helpful, but the ECB signaled it's not going to overreact at this moment. And as we have noted, and other ECB members acknowledge, you know, a lower US dollar the inverse of a higher euro does point to confidence in global growth, global trade, mm. which the eurozone benefits from greatly. So, right, but no, but, it, no. but it does, but it does make it harder to sell stuff, doesn't it? If uh, if from from out of Europe, we had that, uh, we've seen that slow growth in German and French industrial production, and uh, and you know we've been talking about those rising numbers as well. So they need every bit of help they can. So a stronger euro would be good for them. Sorry, a weaker euro would be good for them. It, I should say it, it would, it would be good. You got to see this in a round. And I think on the day. I mean, we don't think this is going to be any sort of barrier to further euro gains. But on the day, we popped back above 119. But we're now, as we speak, you know, back into the mid 118s because euro dollar is feeling the tug, the weight, the drag from uh, an ever increasingly weak sterling, you know, cable Mm. falling back from 130 to 128. We're down over 5% in eight trading days. You know, the sterling is down against the euro. It's down against the Kiwi and the Aussie. Um, you know, as things start to fall away in the UK. Well, yeah, so let's look at that then, because there has been a monumental fall in the pound, hasn't it? So the, uh, and it it all gets down to this new law that's been uh, uh, put forward this week, the UK Internal Market Bill, which effectively overrides the EU withdrawal agreement, which, of course, had been agreed with the EU. This gets back to the, you know, the nub of the, the Brexit argument, which is what happens about the uh, the Northern Ireland border. How do you how, do, how does the EU protect itself when it's mm. got a land border with the with the UK? And this is Britain trying to pull back and say, well, OK, we agreed to that. But, you know, we we need to have a bit more control as well. And there's a question. So it raises the question mark again about what happens about that border. But more to the point, they'd agreed to it. It's an international agreement, so as you know, understandably, everyone's saying, "Well, can you trust the UK if they're going to start writing their own unilateral laws that overturn uh, international agreements?" Yeah, and that's the point. Knowingly admitting that you want to break the law and an international <laughs> treaty, you know, you, you shouldn't be surprised if there's something of a pushback um, outside of sort of you know politicians and officials around the world, observers being aghast at this and taking a generally dim view. You know, the EU today. Uh, uh, demanded an emergency meeting. The, uh, officials came to London to meet with Michael Gove and um, basically said that uh, the UK has got until the end of September to put this matter right. It wants the UK yeah. to stand by the original agreement. There's yeah. an implicit... And the UK fr- saying they're not going to... Uh, Michael Gove saying, no, we're not going to back down. So... Well, uh, well, there's an implicit threat here that the EU says that the withdrawal agreement has got an inbuilt legal process. You know, the suggestion being that they will take the the UK to court. They will sue over this. Of course, a legal challenge would take, you know, a fair amount of time and, yeah. you know, plays to the UK idea that really, well, you know, during that time... You know, uh, those those characters in the UK government that want a hard exit, you know, they'll just collapse the deal and uh, it'll be WTO exit for the UK. I should say the EU has not specifically said it will collapse the deal. It's well aware 
that you know Boris Johnson may well be trying to force the EU to collapse the deal uh, that yeah. the UK now doesn't want, it seems, I, uh, and then get the blame. Um, I always admire your enthusiasm that you believe right to the very end that that deal's going to be done. But in the meantime, what, whatever the outcome is, there's going to be weeks of uncertainty now. And if we see the pound taking as big a hit as it has, uh, surely, I mean, it could just get worse over the next couple of weeks, couldn't it? Well, e- Indeed. I mean, it's from the crisis that sometimes these things can, you know, from the phoenix of the ashes, you get the deal. I think that's very much the feeling inside some members of the UK government. But to your point, yes, Sterling is now in a world of pain. There's something of a vacuum because we just nobody now knows what's going to happen. You know, when is this legal challenge going to come? Is it going to come? Will who will blink? Will, you know, uh, more serious actors in the room take, you know, cooler heads, take a different view. And so that's the kind of environment that that, that markets and, and foreign exchange markets in particular really hate. And that's why you've got Sterling gapping lower. That in right. itself may serve to focus minds when you, if, if we are seeing the beginnings of a good old fashioned Sterling crisis because we just don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to pull the euro down with it, though? Is it, is it, is it going to hold back the euro and therefore is it going to have an impact on on, on the US dollar? Yeah, well, there's a mechanical impact there. So if the pound mm. is falling away across the board, it's pulling the pound lower against the dollar, that will act as a mechanical drag. It'll stop euro dollar going up to where it might have gone. It still means yep. that, you know, uh, that the euro climbs against sterling, but it just acts on, as a drag. And, and, you know, to go back to the rest of the conversation, we've still got tech weakness. That plays to the dollar strength. So, so all of these things are running the same way. We need some stability on the tech side. And we need to wait yeah. for the Federal Reserve next week to remind us about average inflation targeting and what that does to uh, to real yields, which is a dollar, yeah. a dollar negative. But all in good time. Right. Many moving parts. Absolutely. It's keeping us interested. Look, GDP numbers for the UK for July. Uh, that might not help the pound either, although July seems like quite a while ago, doesn't it, really? And uh, the US inflation rate for August is out tonight as well. Uh, so w- want to comment on those before we finish off? Well, the PPI numbers today were a little bit, uh, the purchasing price uh, numbers were a little bit higher. There's not really uh, much of a read through there, but I guess there's a risk of a slight pickup. I don't think anybody's going to take any uh, notice of that, given the disinflationary environment we're in in the US. Okay, great. Thank you. You can toddle off now. Uh, <laughs> we'll catch you again next week. Thanks, Gavin. And you. Cheers. Bye. And you might have thought that Brexit had done all the damage it could do, but there we are. It's still going on, isn't it, in this crazy world that we find ourselves in at the moment. That's it for the morning call for this week. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again Monday morning. See you then.